I'm Chef Wita Michael, and this is the Eat Kentucky Podcast. Welcome back to Eat Kentucky, where we celebrate Kentucky, its food, and its culture. Meet Kentucky at Eat Kentucky. This is your host, Alan Cornett. You may have noticed the podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus for a while. Honestly, I just hit a wall with COVID lockdowns. One of the joys for me with this podcast has been being able to sit down and talk to people face to face. That was something I couldn't do easily for a number of months. The lockdown did teach me to do online interviews, and those will still happen, but I wanted to be able to talk to real people again. I was overjoyed that Chef Wita Michael, one of the very first guests on the podcast, agreed to have me over to Holly Hill Inn to talk about her new cookbook, A Few Miles South, which has been released from the University Press of Kentucky. It's a beautiful book, and you'll want to pick up a copy. You can get a signed copy directly from Chef Wita at her website. Just check show notes for a link. Chef Wita and I discuss what she's learned from the lockdowns, the challenges of finding staff for her restaurants, and some changes she thinks will stick even after the restrictions are over. Plus, Chef Wita reveals what her next book will be. It was a lot of fun being able to do a live interview again. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Eat Kentucky podcast and please leave a five-star rating. Now join me as I talk to Chef Wita Michael. Chef Wita Michael, welcome back to Eat Kentucky. Well, thank you so much, Alan. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to be with a real live person <laughs> in in a different setting. So I'm not I'm not in my house. It, somebody I'm not related to. So this is uh, kind of a new experience. I, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're starting to emerge. Starting to to venture back out. I know you're vaccinated and I'm all vaccinated. Right. I've been a month vaccinated now. So it, it's definitely a freeing it feeling. It is. It gives, you, it gives you a certain confidence in going out, interacting with people and uh, the warm weather drawing us back out. So mm-hmm. I was here at Holly Hill with you around 18 months ago, I think. Something oh like goodness. that. A year and a half ago. And we sat on the porch and had a nice chat and everything seemed nice and normal back then. We had no idea <laughs> what, what, was coming. what was in front of us and um, and things are a little different now. Things are different now. It's been a, it's been a, a wild and woolly year um, <laughs> for everyone, not just me, but everybody. But now here we are. It's a beautiful day, and the sun's out. And I know it's supposed to. We've we've gotten through our our last bit of snow. We hope. Yes. <laughs> and, Please. Uh, and the flowers are blooming, and the dogwoods look nice. Uh, a year and a half ago, you mentioned that you had a cookbook project that was that were you were you were fooling around with, and here on the other side. Yeah. of this pandemic, we hope, 
Um, right? <laughs> keep, keep knocking on wood there. We have a cookbook. Yeah, it's interesting. It took, it took six years to write this book. And I think when you and I talked last, we had just about finished testing the recipes. There were a couple more left to do. And I was beginning to write all the narrative. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember I, this book has been published by UK Press. And it's a Fireside Industries um, book, which means that some of the proceeds goes to the Hyman Settlement School. Oh, okay. And I'm on the board of that school, mm -hmm. and it means a great deal to me. So I'm, I'm thrilled with that. But the day that the governor had to shut down restaurants in March of 2020 was the day that I met the new director, Ashley Runyon, of mm -hmm. the UK Press. I've met her. She's very nice. <laughs> She's very nice. And um, we had, we weren't sure we were, so that was the day that we um, actually finalized all of the, the, the handoff of the book. I mean, I think we had to have it, at least that we were going to go to the press, and then we had our due dates, and so, um, yeah, we were off to the races, and I think we got them, actually, I think, actually, I think we had gotten them the book in February, mm -hmm. I believe, so... So you made it. We made it. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful book. Thank it's you very lovely. much. I mean, it just, it's lovely. It's, uh, it's a nice size. It's a, I like cookbooks that are a little bit I don't know, oversized. I don't know if oversized is the right word, but a little bit larger size. That one. You can is, see it well. You can, yes. Yeah. And um, the, I mean, the problem with a lot of these nice and pretty cookbooks like yours is that I, I'm afraid a lot of times to have them in the kitchen because I don't want to get anything on oh, them. Oh, now but. listen to me. I'm, I'm here to dissuade you of that because I, I'm telling you what, we wrote this book to be, we want it to be the most dog-eared, stain-splattered book in your kitchen. It's not got a lot of photographs. It's got a lot of drawings. Mm -hmm. So it's all black and white because I really wanted the content to sing. Um, it's beautifully illustrated by Brenna Flannery. She's actually um, the fiance of our chef here at Holly Hill Inn, Tyler McNabb. And Brenna, I'll show you, you know, the people listening can't see, but uh, gave me a tattoo for oh, my birthday. Nice. That's my COVID tattoo. Uh, you've, got, you've got ink to remember the, <laughs> got the lockdown. <laughs> I did. I figure, I figure I wanted to commemorate somehow. Uh, the experience. Well, you're you're coming after Sean Brock on that. With the, <laughs> well, he's got the big the sleeve of yeah. ink on uh, of of all the different. I vegetables think this might be so my forth. only you think, one. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> my daughter Willa said, "Can that? Does that mean I get to have a tattoo moment?" I said, "No, I'm 56, and you're. I'm not. I'm not applying for college any longer. That's, well, that's right. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah, job so interviews. See, see me in 35 years, yes. or whatever. That's right. Um, well, it is a lovely book, and. And it is, above all, I think, a very practical mm -hmm. cookbook because I've spent some time with it. I haven't cooked out of it yet, but there are several things that I have my eye on. Uh, some favorites from from the from the restaurants that I want to try out. I suspect my versions won't be as or my my. Um, Attempts won't be as successful, maybe, as, as the, well, the folks at the restaurant. But, you know, the, there's the fun in trying, I guess. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, my, my, a lot of these recipes, once you scale a big restaurant recipe down, it becomes a different little bit of a different recipe when you're doing right. it for the home cook, but often better because you're not trying to do it in a 25-gallon batch recipe so right. you can adjust seasoning better and stuff. But this is a book, too, that's meant so it's, it's our pimento cheese recipe, it's our Benedictine recipe, it's our 
chicken salad recipe, our soup beans, our cornbread, our chili, all the sort of nuts and bolts mm -hmm. of Wallace Station, Windy Corner, Smithtown Seafood, um, from the previous Glens Creek Cafe that we had out at Woodford Reserve. And my hope is that it really uh, suits many members of your family mm -hmm. so that kids can cook and teens can cook and they can go in there and make a scone or they can go in there and make a cookie or um, potentially a quiche or a soup or their pimento cheese because the recipes are have been tested multiple times like probably six to eight times a piece and um, we're really really satisfied with the result well one of the nice things about most of your restaurants i'm a i'm a big wallace station fan i was there just a couple weeks ago meeting a friend for lunch and it is that the food i don't know i isn't fancy necessarily, but it's what we might consider elevated a little bit, right? <laughs> and so I, f I feel like that with a lot of these these recipes, these aren't things that are foreign to your kitchen. A lot no. of these things are things you're already making or you already have versions right. of, right. Uh, but you're giving us you're giving us your yeah, spin on it. Silas House wrote the foreword, and his favorite recipe in the book is the tuna salad recipe. <laughs> and I mean, the book's official release date is actually tomorrow. But several people have copies um, from advanced shipping, and I've already, there's several people on Facebook that said, "Oh, I love the tuna salad. I've made the tuna salad already." Well, so, I'll have to, I'll have to prioritize <laughs> the tuna salad since it's gotten buzz. It has gotten buzz. <laughs> I mean, Mary Parlanti. I don't know if you know Mary. She she so. had the kitchen at Chevy Chase. She was the first woman. Um, I mean, she was a, a female chef back when I was just uh, still at UK. And I went to school with several of her kids and have enjoyed cooking with her over the years. Um, but she, she gave me her Italian vinaigrette recipe years ago. It's been on our menu at Wallace Station for almost the whole time, 15 years. And um, you won't find a better Italian vinaigrette. And we've probably, we've made thousands of gallons of that dressing. And that, so to have that recipe out and attributed to Mary, um, I highly recommend her cookbook too, if you can still find it, if it's in print. It's a wonderful. What's the name? Do you remember the name of it? I can't remember the name of it. Um, but. I'll try to track it down. Yeah. She's, she's an excellent, excellent, excellent cook. Well, see, so this is kind of the culmination, I guess, of really of decades. And, and even a lot of these are recipes that other people have given you, like the vinaigrette recipe. Course, so it's, yeah. these are recipes that go back even beyond your career, is it hard to let those go in a sense, you know, that, so they're, they're kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're your little secret in a, in a way. They're, they're things that you've put together that you're particularly proud of. I would think that there would be a little bit of, do I really want people <laughs> to, <laughs> to, have to, to, to have these and know what I'm doing? Well, like you said, um, you know, just a second ago, we're not, we're, the, the recipes in this book and the recipes in our restaurants, maybe with the exception of some of the Honeywood and Holly Hill Inn cooking, they're not reinventing the wheel. This is not uh, Alenia. We're not, you know, throwing desserts on tabletops and things. What we're trying to do is promote and protect a Kentucky food culture from our perspective. Um, and so a lot of these dishes like brown beans and cornbread date back you know, to the Great Depression and beyond. So they're several, maybe over over a hundred years old. But the way to move them forward is to is to introduce them continuously to the new generations that are coming through our doors. And um, so they're 
there, there wasn't any hesitation on my part. There probably would have been like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I did feel, I do feel like now's the time. I feel like my career is changing and my, as I get older and I'm going to write another book. I'm starting work this summer on the Holly Hill Inn book. Um, so yes, the, the other thing is, is that Wallace Station has a certain charm. <laughs> Sometimes, it, <laughs> sometimes its charm is a little bit less visible than other times. Let's say, but uh, right now it's it's. I, I just drove Old Frankfurt Pike yesterday with Willa on the way home, and uh, and it's a scenic byway, national scenic byway mm-hmm. now, thanks to Mr. Tracy Farmer and the work of his friends. I couldn't be more grateful for that. But Wallace is the only place to stop on that national scenic byway. Um, I'm not worried about Wallace Station somehow losing all of its customer base. Well, to to give you a little a little bit of a good feeling, when I just drove by on the way here, there was uh, there were people standing outside the door. <laughs> yes. So that's so uh, yeah. so at least today. Uh, <laughs> it's today you know, they're okay. They're 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 still they're still out there. Um, you mentioned the idea of kind of protecting the culture of Kentucky cooking. This is, I mean, it's, it's called A Few Miles South, but it's very much a Kentucky cookbook. What, yeah. what does place mean to you with this cookbook? Well, the only reason Kentucky's not in the title is to broaden the um, accessibility of the book. Um, but place is everything to me. And I think my cooking's an exercise in place. Anytime you decide to use local agriculture, your cooking is an exercise in place, no matter what kind of cooking you're doing. So 20 years ago, um, we opened up the, we, we, 21 years ago, we bought the Holly Hill Inn and, and 20 years ago, next week, actually on May 9th, we'll celebrate the 20th anniversary of our opening night here at Holly Hill. And, um, and ever since then, um, our mission has been to promote local agriculture, increase farm income in Kentucky, and to expand, but also enrich Kentucky's food culture. Restaurants can't define the food culture of Kentucky, but we can promote the food culture of Kentucky. And we don't want our food culture to be just in a history book, right? We don't want it to all be about what Daniel Boone may have eaten at Boone, down at Boonesboro um, or what we were, you know, we are a diverse state. We're a melting pot. Um, I don't think that we'd want to stick with what Daniel, whatever Daniel Boone had. <laughs> No, that's probably not too uh, no, that's not. Way. And we're not all we're not all brown beans and cornbread either. We're right. pod Thai. We're, you know, we're eating, um, you know, soup bean burritos, and we're eating reef, our beans and tacos and tortillas. And mm-hmm. so we're a melting pot here, but we do have a provenance to our food and uh, a, a farming provenance and a and a cultural provenance and a poetry uh, provenance. So it's all of those things together for me are what how I see myself in my role in, uh, in, in enriching and promoting Kentucky's food culture. So these recipes went through, as you mentioned, up to a half dozen or more tests. Yeah. So you had to scale down what you're usually cooking for a lot of people right. for on a mass scale, relatively speaking. You have to scale down and you have to test. Were there recipes that you hoped would make it that didn't after the testing, or was it okay? This didn't work. We've got to we've got to make it work. 
There were, the lemon bar recipe gave us fits, um, but we got it there in the end. Um, I can't say, well, there are some recipes that differ a little bit from the bulk recipe, but all are delicious and work very, very well. And not, and not, difference, not different in concept, but maybe different in execution. I worked with, uh, my co-author's name is Sarah Gibbs, and Sarah and I worked together for many years in our company. She, she, her role was when we opened Windy Corner, she would be out there in the kitchen with me while I wrote the menu for Windy Corner and then made all the dishes, and then she would codify the recipes, and she'd wrote the cookbook for the restaurants, mm -hmm. for Windy Corner, for Smithtown Seafood, for the bakery, and for Wallace Station. She came back and rewrote the Wallace Station recipes. And uh, once we had, so she retired. I mean, long story short, we started thinking about this book and she st retired and moved to Florida sort of in the middle of, of all this process. So she got to scaling down the recipes and then we, we, she would make it, we would eat it. And I'd say, this is pretty close, let's go with this. We'd send it out to four home testers um, and they would make the recipe in their own kitchens and then send back comment, then we rewrite the, and edit the recipe, then send back out. And so, yeah, several times. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. a long process. Well, I was gonna say, that would take a while when, you, when you're working it through. It took a very long time. These. Yeah. So you've got a lot of my favorites. You've got the Cubano, the Inside Out Hot Brown. Woodford Cookie, which I was lobbying for. <laughs> I think we talked about that last time I was here. Um, so now I know how to do it, and I, uh, I, I'm absolutely making it. <laughs> um, and you even give us a beer cheese. So I feel like that, that's, that that is an accomplishment. And a bourbon because, cheese, yeah, white cheddar uh, bourbon. Uh, so we have our beer cheese and our bourbon cheese. So, the, you know, <laughs> these, are, these are just kind of basic useful things. But, of course, you know, beer cheese, everybody's got a beer cheese, and I love. I'm a, I'm a beer cheese ecumenist. I'm, I'm willing to embrace oh, all of them. Yeah, um, me too. But, um, you know, beer cheese is one of those things that once you get started, it's hard to stop, uh, hard to stop with it. Um, it. It seems like when you, when you look at the cookbook that it really is, it, it, it's, it's not like a cookbook from from restaurants, I guess, and that's a, that's I, that I, I mean that as a compliment. Oh, I take it that way <laughs> because because it really is it really does strike me as as a practical as a practical cookbook that somebody it's something that somebody could just pull out. I need to make X, right? And it's probably in there. Well, a lot of cookbooks from restaurants and restaurant chefs are inspirational or aspirational, so it's a it's a big four-color book, and you know the recipes can have a million, like twenty-five ingredients in them, and you may not. And there's an and there's an index in the back about where you can order the ingredients because right. you're not <laughs> going to be able to find them. Um, no, this is definitely of our community and for our community. And you know, like we put the Wallace Station wheat bread and white bread in there. Mm -hmm. you know, we've made our own bread and the rye um, with Weisenberger flour for years and years and years. So that's right in the book there for people to enjoy. Um, and I hope they do. I, I sincerely hope it should be a family, a family book. The fact that you think it's pragmatic is really makes me happy because <laughs> Good. I can't stand opening up a book and reading a recipe that I know is not going to work or a book that's just around marketing. It's just designed for marketing right. purposes. There's a lot of content to this book. It's densely, densely packed and it's not, it's not full of glossy photos. Um, for a reason, because it's not just a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually a, 
usable book. La last fall, Chef Vivian Howard of PBS fame yes. and so forth, she, she came out with a, with a second cookbook. And one of the things that, that was um, a focus of it was its practicality. It's called this, this Will Make It Taste Good. And she basically said, she was, and I'll send people to listen to the interview on the an earlier Eat Kentucky podcast. But sure. uh, she talked to. She basically said, "This is, this is how I cook at home." And mm -hmm. a lot of it was kind of creating um, ingredients that she could put in the refrigerator or freeze, and then she could pull out and fix for her kids and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not exactly what you have here, but but you have the same, I think the same mindset of the home cook who can really do this yeah. and, and make things work. And I think that that is at least, so I don't know if, if two people make a trend, but it seems like a good trend in cookbooks. Uh, yeah. Along those lines, I liked Vivian's first book quite a bit. Too. Right, yeah, it, it was it's, big, but it's such a great book. Yeah, I think that maybe that is a trend. I bought Chandra Rams. Um, you know, Chandra is from Lexington okay. and the editor of Plate Magazine, and she wrote a fantastic book that was released uh, around Christmas time this year for Instapot Indian Cooking. Okay, and I love that, that sounds my Instapot. really good. Oh, it is. I've made like I love it. And so I would add that to your list of pragmatic and mm -hmm. practical books. Um, just really, really explains exactly what garam masala is and goes through each recipe in a very, very understandable, very approachable way. So I, I think maybe you're right. And I, I also wanted, you know, we have a lot of fans for these restaurants at Wallace and Wendy and Smithtown. And there'd be nothing more disappointing than getting the pimento cheese for recipe from Wallace Station in a cookbook and then making it and not have it be as good. Right. right yeah. <laughs> so, so this isn't the same. This isn't yeah, it. I wanted to make sure that what we were printing in the book was something you would really be like so happy and yeah, the, like the, your you, secret recipe. Yeah, you recognize it as as that's what this is. Yeah. I know, you know, you sometimes you hear about people, well, I, you know, I'll share, I'll share this recipe, but they hold back their, hold you, know, back ingredient, you know, ingredient right. or something. And I, I, and I feel like, well, it depends on the ingredient that could be disastrous <laughs> potentially, <laughs> but, um, but it's also, you know, ultimately can be kind of frustrating. Uh, sure. On, on that. I, uh, uh, a, a friend of mine on Twitter um, talked about his, his father was a, was a, big cook and he's since passed away and mm -hmm. he said that he would he was very protective of his recipes and he was kind of like he would share the recipe but he wouldn't tell you quite everything that was in it and then he passed away and they didn't have everything and so so it was it was horrible <laughs> for them and he they had recently discovered in a box somewhere his like his Oh, his secret! Yeah, his secret, his secret. <laughs> so they were thrilled that they were able to get it. But here, we don't even have to worry about you hiding something no, from us. No, I didn't hold anything back. <laughs> it's not. It's no, no, no. I want people to really love the book. That's that's my aim. So you talk about kind of, I guess, moving in a in a different direction in your career. You. You said you're not opening any more restaurants. Mm -mm. Last time we talked, I don't know if you've changed your mind nope. about that. Haven't but changed a thing. <laughs> probably. I didn't close one restaurant yeah, since we talked. Probably, if anything, I would think COVID would uh, would send people the other direction on on that. Yes. Um, but you've got another book. You said you're working on. So tell us a little bit about. Well, about I'm that. just getting started on it this summer. Um, I have to get through the spring first. <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> knock on my head. 
Um, it's going, this, then the next book will be more centered around our story at Holly Hill Inn. Um, I, I'm not the chef at Holly Hill Inn anymore, so it may not be Tyler's book. It may be pre-Tyler, but the early, at least the early days of Holly Hill Inn, mm -hmm. we have so many recipes that I've made over the years and so many menus that I've really enjoyed um, that I, I would like to, to try to, to work on. Um, but things like individual spoon bread souffle with lemon confit, those, those are a little bit more advanced recipes, mm -hmm. but I want to approach it in the same way that we did this book. Um, so there'll be recipes in there like um, our dressed eggs, our cheddar wafers, um, the recipe for um, our corn sticks here that we do at, Ho Honey, at Holly Hill, but nowhere else, mm -hmm. none of the other restaurants do those recipes. Um, and I think that'll be a very special book. There are lamb, our leg of lamb with lavender, black pepper, and lemon zest. Uh, mint jelly, the old-fashioned way. Mint jelly, the newfangled way. Um, so we have a lot of those recipes over the years that I've really enjoyed making, and I want to put them in print. So that'll be for uh, for maybe more advanced chef, but it would be. I think it would be a good. I think it'll be a good step two for this book because. This book is like, what are you going to have for lunch or a week or a, ca a family meal? Mm -hmm. And the next book may be, what am I going to make for a dinner party? Okay. Um, it's just like one little step forward. But a lot of the recipes are simple. And, and maybe we'll be able to do dinner parties again. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please, I want to be able to do that. We have to keep celebrating our lives with our friends and conviviality. I agree with you. So the cookbooks are sort of a uh, uh, a, a resistance against uh, against our separation, if you will, because the the best way to enjoy food is with other people. I love that. That's an excellent line. Yes, cookbooks <laughs> feel, are a resistance against separation. <laughs> yeah, That's feel great. free to use that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean I think we've all we've all felt it and been frustrated by it and. Um, you know, my wife is um, in mental health uh, as a nurse practitioner, and she says just baseline everybody's depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, she deals with people all the time, and she says just everybody's depressed, and because because they can't see people, they can't go do. They just lost. They feel like they've lost their lives, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and they're, they're, that takes a lot of toll on people. It does, and. And there's a lot of anxiety right now about about going back and vaccinations and uncertainty about getting the vaccination, uncertainty about if you know getting back to normal, not wanting that urgency, not quite knowing exactly right. what is to come. Yeah, this is all untested waters mm -hmm. for everybody, but uh, but I hope that uh, cookbook can can be a be a possible gateway well, for that. Well, you know, the last year, people have cooked so much at home. True, so yeah. So they should be ready. Yeah. Yeah, we needed this what, you know, <laughs> last year, but, uh, but we would have had to just, we, we might have gotten tired of it at this point. Everybody just made bread nonstop for, uh, for most of last spring, I think. This is CJ Lotes of Garden and Gun, and you're listening to the Eat Kentucky podcast. Well, let's talk a little bit about about uh, restaurants and lockdowns because we learned very quickly that uh, the restaurant industry was being was one of the industries that was being hit the hardest mm -hmm. when lockdowns happened. 
Um, and there was a lot of on-the-fly adjustment yeah. with how, how do we stay in business? How do we keep people employed? How do we keep the lights on? So tell me a little bit of what that was like and maybe some things you've learned that are beneficial from all of that <laughs> for, for the restaurant business. Well, yes, I've learned a lot over the last year. Well, lockdown was hard. I mean, it, but once you got past the anxiety of, of it, um, it, it had a lot of positive aspects too. The, the hardest part, I think, well, I don't know what if there was a single hardest part, um, but just the constant change, and we're still in that cycle. So, you know, locking down, figuring how to go to online ordering, figuring out curbside, figuring out uh, paperless menus, getting everything online, and then making sure that all your online stuff meshed, trying to train your customers on how to use your online ordering platform, making sure that your online menu matched your website menu, matched your, you know, there, I feel like communication over the last year has taken a beating and we're communicating more over the, over more platforms than we ever have in our lives. Yeah. So it's, there are lots of um, snafus and misunderstandings and things that have happened. But at the same time, we became closer in some ways. I think our our company, we we were shown so much love and so much support by this community that we finally understood that we meant what we meant to the community. And I have to, I'm I'm so grateful for everyone in Central Kentucky and and displaying that to my staff, to myself. We've really, I mean, more than the financial impact, it had a substantial financial in, impact, and we're we're through the pandemic. Um, uh, you know, we made it through the bulk of it, but it had an emotional impact on, psychological impact mm -hmm, on absolutely. us. Um, where we are right now, everyone's ready to come back to restaurants, but, but our employees are, we're, we're having a very difficult time staffing additional people. The people that are in our restaurants right now are the very people who have worked for the last year mm -hmm. and gotten it, worked through the entirety of COVID. And so they are grappling with, you know, most of our staff is vaccinated. Some are still in the process of getting vaccinated. Um, but they're, they're a group of young people primarily who have been through COVID, COVID testing, positive tests, opening, closing, resistant customers, compliant customers, <laughs> um, opening up their windows and selling food out of the window, <laughs> all kinds of new operating procedures. And... And I think they're they're tired. And now it's suddenly really, really busy and everybody's like, oh, right. I want to have a party yeah, every, now. Right. Everybody yeah. wants to be out. Like I said, it's spring now. Everybody wants to come out. Yeah. Especially people who are vaccinated feel confident, mm -hmm. uh, maybe in ways that they hadn't before. Right. I know I, uh, speaking of ordering through the window, I, w I remember ordering through the window at Zim's. Yes. <laughs> you know, you go up and... <laughs> Kellen you, opened up the windows and... <laughs> And, uh, you know, you hoped, hoped to find a, a seat out there and the wind not blow your food away. So that was, uh, but you know, you got, you get a different view of it all. I've since eaten at Zim's inside now. So that's, uh, but that's been good. Well, I saw that you uh, recently in the past few days announced that you were closing Wallace Station on Tuesdays yes. to give your, to give your employees a break. And I assume that that plays into the whole, we've got to get more people 
on yes. staff? Yes, I mean, we're, we're trying to hire. We have been able to hire a few people at Wallace. We're getting them trained, so hopefully we can reopen on Tuesdays in a few weeks, in a week, few weeks, I think, probably. We've had to close Zim's down on Mondays and on Sunday nights, and we're, we're you know, we can't find cooks. We're, it's very, very difficult to find cooks. We are offering great pay um, and signing bonuses and all stuff like that, but same with Honeywood. So if somebody's looking for a job? Please email me or hit our website. Um, but yes, we're hiring across every platform right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know, I know staffing is an issue. I've heard it that it's a, a problem, not just with your restaurants, but with, with a lot of people. Right. Why do you think that is? What do you think will fix it? Well, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's benefits. I don't really agree with that. I think that's maybe part of the answer. But um, I honestly feel like my industry's been decimated mm -hmm. and it, it sure. takes more than just like a now hiring sign to bring right. people back to especially to an industry where they felt so exposed I don't think people are understanding the psychological impact of working in a restaurant a place that's supposed to be fun mm -hmm. and full of conviviality and generosity and hospitality and being afraid that you might get sick and die or make your grandmother sick and die from going to that job that's a big burden that's a big thing, and I mm -hmm. think we have to, it's going to take a minute to overcome that. I, I know vaccines will help but um, and, and help us to reopen, but I'm not sure the vaccine can heal all the psychic wounds that we right. had. I think that the airline industry and the hotel industry, and I mean, I think that's true across tourism, not just in restaurants, but, you know, we're looking at a service sector of our economy, and I think people that were participants in that that sector in the past are asking themselves, really, is it worth it? And I'm worried that, um, and for me, of course, I, I definitely think it's, I mean, I love my career. I've mm -hmm. loved what I've been able to do in my career, every aspect of it. Um, that, the other thing that I think is a big problem for the restaurant industry in particular is that we have just taken a, I feel like we've taken a beating um, in the media. Um, and, I, and some of it deserved, you know, on what it's like to work in a restaurant, uh, the demands placed upon people in the restaurant, the sexual harassment that goes on in, in restaurant kitchens, the, you know, it hasn't been a pretty picture that's been painted on social media of restaurant work. Mm -hmm. And if we don't change that and change the conversation, we're not gonna be able to get young people to come work in restaurants. And it's a problem for our whole community because we all love restaurants. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the local McDonald's here uh, couldn't open last week because nobody showed up for work. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. So that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, so as Americans, we have to just sort of think about that. For our company, we're making a commitment to the $15 an hour minimum wage, mm -hmm. and we're working hard to make sure that we're at that wage by the end of 2021. We are lucky in that all of our casual restaurants, the the tips that you leave at the counter, they go to every employee in the restaurant. They're apportioned equally. And so almost everyone at those restaurants gets makes $15 an hour mm -hmm. with the tips. But the where we have to uh, make that work is in the restaurants that aren't doing that. But we're very, very close. I would say we're within you know 20% of our employees of striking distance of being at that $15 an hour wage. Well, I mean, ultimately, I guess if you, if you want more staff, there is a point where you have to pay more. I mean, that's mm -hmm. uh, whether it's your restaurants or others that there's 
maybe do you think there's a reluctance on the part maybe of some restaurants? And I know a lot of them are cash strapped right now, sure. right? Because yeah, they've, absolutely. they've been kind of slammed against the wall yeah. with all of this. Yeah. Um, and then face, well, do we do we have enough people to even staff what we're doing? What is sustainable? Right. right. And trying to hit that cycle exactly right. It's very, very difficult. Well, have there been things that you've learned uh, about maybe the new way, a newer way of doing things that have been beneficial? That you know, maybe it wasn't a, it wasn't the way you would have wanted to have learned it, <laughs> <laughs> but now that you know it, it's going to help you going forward, or maybe just new ways of doing business that you that well, you think will stick. I mean, I feel incredibly optimistic about the future um, and about this year. I, I want part of what was glorious about 2020 is we were living in Kentucky, not in New York City, right. not in LA. You're sitting on 10 acres of parkland here mm -hmm. at Holly Hill Inn. And so just having people out on the lawn eating was so wonderful and on the front porch, and I, and I thought to myself, how come I haven't ever really made a big deal about this in the past? <laughs> so just doing that, embracing that, we planted victory gardens, we have an increased herb garden, we built a garden shed, we have a new deck out back, we repainted the whole inn, and we did the same thing at Wallace Station, and we're, Windy Corner is undergoing a kit, complete kitchen transformation this uh, month. So it's been um, really, uh, fabulous to one thing that was great about 2020 was the capacity restrictions and the shutdown gave me and, and my core value team although we were spinning and handling change it gave us enough space to adapt because of the 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 contracted business and the ppp loans gave us the fiscal security to maintain those jobs and maintaining that core value staff with that with the government assistance essentially for that that employment opportunity that increased the creativity i feel like of all of those of all of those people of all of our core team team members and it was just it was wonderful that was really really wonderful um, so we're going to be releasing um, new lunch and dinner menus at honeywood lawrence spent the whole year just cycling through these amazing specials with a changing menu that would not have happened without COVID because we had you know a specific menu at Honeywood it was very formulaic that's all completely been turned on its head for the better mm -hmm. for to the well now, I haven't restaurant. been back to Honeywood so I need to I need to get back out there yeah and there it's so I'm super excited about that new menu should be probably ready by the middle of May okay. um, we sold cookies across the country in these cookie boxes that help sustain mm -hmm. us. And one of the things I really learned was that we need to make sure that we have as many um, revenue streams in our company as possible so that when if this goes on a long time, um, that we have the fiscal strength to endure. And um, those revenue streams are really fun, like the cookbook is a revenue stream. These cookie boxes and weedamichael.com and all the things that we're shipping there our revenue streams and we're going to be investing more in those uh, so that they're not related that revenue stream is not related to people walking through a restaurant door right but it's building on all the content that the people who work in all of our restaurants create every day and um, making that available to our guests yeah it's uh, forcing you to find new ways to get 
to get things in people's hands, I guess. Right. Um, and I think from from a an eater's point of view, you know, the the accessibility sort of to the to-go uh, options, curbside pickup kind of things, those can be nice. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like going to a restaurant and sitting down and having people bring yeah. me food, but it's also nice sometimes. To pick it, to, yeah, to yeah. take it to go. The to delivery co-op is another great example of something that right. came out of I was going to ask you about COVID. that. Yeah, talk and a little bit about so that. So the, the delivery co-op, um, I don't know if people understand how delivery apps normally work, but like with the big delivery apps, uh, and I'm talking about Grubhub and DoorDash and those kinds of delivery apps, Uber Eats, they typically require a 30% cut of anything that the restaurant sells. So restaurants raise their price in order to meet that 30% margin. And then they require the customer to also pay more if it's farther away. They have different right. delivery um, costs. So the cost of delivery is substantial. Um, and a, a group of guys here in Lexington got together a co-op model, which is a um, it, the, the subscriber to the delivery co-op app that goes on your phone, pays $25 a month, and for that gets unlimited delivery from the member restaurants. Um, and right now, I think we're up to like, uh, I, mean, I think maybe seven restaurants um, inside the Lexington area. We piloted that program at Zim's, but it's not my program. A lot of people got it confused that they thought it was I was starting the delivery co-op. It's actually started, the operating partner's name is Aaron Withers. They're a wonderful, wonderful team of people mm -hmm. um, who've gotten it up and off the ground. And, and it's going to be a national model exported to New York, and they've got it started in Louisville now. And there's no, um, the restaurants play a, pay a flat membership fee, but we also own part of it. Our, so when revenues really be, when when the thing cycles up and revenues start to be more consistent, you could have a share of revenue that would offset your membership application. Um, and drivers are all paid fifteen dollars an hour plus health insurance. So you're not part of the gig economy. You're actually it's a full time, and they also make tips. So it could be a really great job for somebody. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to provide good sustainable employment with benefits and a. Um, a delivery model where the restaurant has a relationship with the driver, knows who they are, they deliver the food frequently, they can help be an ambassador for the restaurants, mm -hmm. and that these are all independently owned and operated restaurants in our community. So the whole thing is a win-win. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's it sounds great. Uh, hope that it, it's it will take it's off. tricky to um, where we're they're hiring drivers now so they can they add a restaurant then they don't have enough drivers then they hire drivers then they heck it, you know so it's yep, like right. this rico yeah. ricochet up up the ladder but we're getting there we're adding more subscribers every well anything week. like that will have growing pains sure. obviously as you're scaling yeah. up yeah but it, w it was wonderful for us because I don't use the large delivery apps I don't do any of that mm -hmm. I don't want to gouge my customers in that way um, but we did do curbside in an, early in the pandemic with our wait staff being so, thrust so suddenly, you know, <laughs> out of work. We immediately, you know, put them on higher wages, used them to deliver our food and just drove it around town. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think, do you think that there are some of these things like that that are going to, that are going to stick long term? Oh yeah, I do. I think we're, I think as Americans, we're going to have to rethink the way we we evaluate um, the restaurant culture that we have. I don't think the amount of trash generated, I'd be interested in what the amount of trash was like in 2020. Yeah, I don't these. think it's been great. <laughs> um, 
like, <laughs> no. And uh, that, that was always a big concern of mine. So I, I worry about that. Um, but yeah, I think I'm hopeful that these can stick. I know right now we're in a momentary transition where we're trying to win back hearts and minds in terms of an employment situation. Mm -hmm. um, but we already feel like we've won that battle with our guests. So that's, that's yeah, a, not a bad place to be. I think, I, just from, again, from an eater's standpoint, I don't feel like restaurants are going to have a hard time getting people back out, especially now that the vaccine yeah. is widespread. Uh, that I think people are going to feel confident to get back out and, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, uh, we'll have um, some capacity limits Lift. raised yeah. and maybe completely removed uh, before too much longer. Yeah, I mean, if we get to our 2.5 million. Right. Um, just, I want people to keep in mind that we are at 60% capacity right now. Yeah. Uh, we have we have a lot of folks who walk into Honeywood, see an empty table, and get a little frustrated, but we are at a 60% capacity, right. and and so we take that very seriously. We ha we told ourselves we would do that. We would we would let the government be our guide, and we would adhere and be transparent in our operations, and just tell everybody when we had a test, tell everybody when we had a positive close down, sanitize, just keep it all totally transparent so that the guests and our staff felt comfortable coming to work and comfortable coming to dine. And it's worked. Yeah. Well, I feel like, uh, I do feel like in a lot of ways we're on the other side. I know we're, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not all gone, but we, we're going to have to be careful for a while. But, um, but I think, you know, as, as, as is often the case when we face difficulty, we're kind of stronger Mm -hmm. stronger for it even though we didn't necessarily enjoy the process right absolutely and you have a beautiful book that's come out of all of that which is nice yeah so that is officially released by the time people hear this that will it will be out and mm -hmm. available yes they can get it at their local retailers or yeah here in town place. joseph beth is going to have it which makes me so happy yeah that's great and um and you can get it at weedamichael.com to ship to you okay. every copy that we sell at either at our website or at one of our restaurants, I'll I will be signed by me. Okay. I've signed three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have mine here. I've got to get you to sign mine. Three thousand and one. It'll be three thousand and one here just in just a minute. So people can go to any of your restaurants, and it's available. Yes. And so we will send them to weedamichael.com rather than some sort of. Well, or your local bookstore. Yeah, or your local bookstore. Right? Yeah. But but rather than an an alternate online vendor. <laughs> We would rather we would rather the the money be funneled in your direction. Yes, any way you buy it'll be fine. But yes, that's O U I T A. I will have a link in show notes that people can go and they can just click and it'll take them right there and they can they can check out in mere moments and they will have a signed copy sent to them. So do you have like you have a. Uh, a big basement just full of boxes. <laughs> we have a fulfillment office. Yeah. We do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We do. It's crazy. Well, I will say that uh, it's a it's a beautiful book. People will not be sorry that they have it. Oh, and, thank you. And it has uh, it has nice stories, but not too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh my we, gosh, those blogs. Yeah. Online. No, we talked about that oh. the last time. <laughs> yeah. About you. You talked about going to the blogs and, and you have to scroll and scroll and scroll. <laughs> So it's not like that. <laughs> Thank heavens. It's a, it's a, but but it really is a practical book. It's not it's not just to sit on the shelf, but 
No. But but get some splatter on it. I guess <laughs> that's a that that's a difficult to me. I always keep it on the table and got, go back and forth rather than the counter. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, that's uh, that's probably just my own mental issues there. But, but uh, I appreciate you having me over and wonderful opportunity to talk. Hope we can do it again. You've got another book at some point, so we'll definitely talk about that. But yeah. uh, but I'm glad that you've made it to the other side and we'll encourage people to come out to the We and Michael family of restaurants well, thank you. and buy a book. Yes, please. Thank <laughs> you so much. Please check show notes for links and information. Please hit the subscribe button to the Eat Kentucky podcast to be notified of future episodes and leave a five-star rating. It really helps others find the podcast. Also, please tell a friend who might enjoy the podcast. You can follow my other explorations of Kentucky food on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The Eat Kentucky theme is by Art Mize. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at eatkentucky at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Alan Cornett.